everyone. Welcome to the Cultivate Podcast from the Grove Church. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and glad you've joined us. And we spend some time, we're spending some time now just kind of going through some different points of theology to kind of help us think more critically and more theologically about what we believe and to help us understand more about God and who we are, which will ultimately then help us know how we're supposed to live. And we spent some time a couple of weeks ago, a couple of episodes ago, just talking about um, what the different categories are, the different categories of thinking, like the, the different subjects, the content of theology. Then we also spend a good amount of time just kind of talking about, hey, we need to kind of have not just subject categories, but priority categories, that there are some things that are essential to being a Christian. There are things that are foundational to good Christian living. There are things that are important to understand, and there are things that are just interesting to talk about. And it's important for us to understand the difference between those because there's things that we need to kind of wrestle with and say, if I'm going to be a Christian, I need to believe these things. And there are things that then unify all Christians. And there are things that we are important, but we're free to disagree over. And we need to understand the kind of distinction of those categories. And then last time we spent some time at least just kind of getting our toes in the water of what it means to believe in a theistic God, what it means to believe in a Trinity and kind of what Trinity means. Um, A 25 minute podcast is not near enough. I mean, there are volumes and volumes that have been written for generations on these topics that, but we are just right now, again, we're just kind of getting our, our feet wet to kind of get us thinking in the right categories and the right terms as we kind of for some of us, really just begin a theological journey of what I really believe, what we really believe as Christians about the nature of God and our nature and sin. And so in this episode, we're going to dive in a little bit more uh, on who Jesus is. In talking uh, through the Trinity, we talked a little bit about um, the nature of Jesus, but we didn't really get into a whole lot, just really with respect to his inclusion in the Trinity. But when we're talking about Jesus specifically and who Jesus is, there has just been historical debate. And when I say historical debate, I mean all the way back to the time of Paul. If you read Paul's letters, you will see in there, especially in the book of Colossians and in the book of Philippians, you will see that even at that time, just very soon, within 20 years of the death of Jesus, the nature of who Jesus is or was, was of great debate. We could actually go back even further if we wanted to. The nature of who Jesus actually was, was of great debate during the time of Jesus. I mean, he had a lot of beef with some of the religious leaders as he's trying to describe who he is. As he just says, before Abraham was, I am. When he, when he references himself as the son of man, And specifically, when he references a a verse in Daniel, when he says that you will see the Son of Man and coming descending in glory is a reference to a prophetic piece in Daniel that is making a reference to God. There are several times his use of Son of Man, Son of God, his use of the word I am, was clearly communicating to them that he was at least in part in nature God. And it was very fresh. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, Jesus asked Peter this question. Hey, who who do people say that I am? And people are like, man, somebody's a teacher, sometimes John the Baptist, Elijah. Man, there's all sorts of ideas. And, he's like, well, and then he asked Peter, well, who do you say that I am? He's like, oh, you're the, you're the son of God, you know, and you're the one I need to follow, right? And and so um, this, this question 
of, of who he is has been of great importance all the way back to his lifetime. This was never simply the following of Jesus and understanding Jesus was never simply about listening to his teaching and following his teaching. I'm going to listen to Jesus and then I'm going to be a good person because there was something about him, about the way that he taught, about the miracles that he did. There was something about him that made it very clear that this is more, he is more than just a great teacher or even the greatest teacher. And the question began to be asked very early on, who is this guy? And then after his death and his resurrection and Paul begins to talk about him, that continues as Paul is interacting with a lot of different people who have a lot of wrong ideas about the nature and character of who Jesus is. And he is teaching that. And for 2000 years since then, we continue to grapple with this you know, one of the most important questions that anyone will ever ask, who is Jesus? Because if he's just a teacher, then you put his teaching in line with someone else and you pick and choose and you figure out what you want to believe and what you want to do and what you want to follow. But if in Jesus, we have someone who is not just simply a good teacher or a great teacher or the best teacher, a God-inspired teacher, but we have a unique person, we have someone who is unique in their nature, we have someone who is in fact God, then the obligation that we have to following him um, increases significantly. Whether or not I feel like I have the ability to choose to follow and obey God is a very different question than do I like this guy's teaching? And so it is really important for us to um, understand Okay, okay, who who is Jesus? And so at this point, we're going to use, at some point, we're going to use some very fancy theological terms to kind of describe things, but we'll always do our best to try to explain them. And so the first thing that we're going to talk about is what what has historically been called the dual, D-U-A-L, dual nature of Christ, and that Jesus is, and this is the historical understanding um, for the Christian church for I don't want to say all of its history because very early on, there were a lot of debates about this, but that Jesus has a dual nature, that he, Jesus is fully God and he is fully human. He is not a mix of both. He is not all of just one. He is fully both of those things. And so if you were, if you listened to last episode, you heard me at least very briefly make the case for Jesus being fully God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. John chapter 8, 58, where in referencing who he is, he says, before Abraham was born, I am. So not saying not only did he exist before Abraham, but using a present tense verb, he existed. He, he, he is before Abraham, not was, is. And also a direct reference of I am to the name that God the Father gave to gave himself to Moses back in the burning bush. A direct connection to the deity of Jesus. Also in Colossians chapter 2, um, Paul in describing him says the fullness of deity, the fullness of God dwells in Jesus in his very nature. He is in his very nature. Okay, Philippians chapter two says the same thing. We're going to come back and look this passage more in depth. Verse six of Philippians chapter two, 
who being in very nature God, not having God-like qualities, not being like what, like we're described in Genesis chapter one, created in his image and likeness, you know, a, 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 a photocopy, a, a, a shrunken down version, a changed version, a, a reflection, if you will, a, you know, in his very nature, we are like God. We have an image of God. Jesus in his very nature is God. And that is very different. And so, to be honest, if you want to think about, even though for in our minds, in our, you know, Western post-enlightenment um, thinking, the fact that Jesus could be deity, could be a God, could be capital G God, is the most outlandish of the claims. Historically, actually, um, in Christian thought, and this is kind of historical theology, um, historically, that has been the least controversial one. You read the Gospels, you read Paul's letters, it is very clear that Jesus is God. The thing that has actually been the most controversial historically is, well, is Jesus actually human or was he just pretending to be human? Was he just God with a fake human shell acting like a person, but really wasn't a person, was actually just God pretending to be a human? And so... He is, though. He is fully human, and, and I think there are a couple things there that are really important for us to, to take note of. And what were the things that you would think that are that would make someone fully human? Um, I mean, John chapter 11, I mean, I think that's one. I mean, Jesus weeping. I mean, he cried. He got, he got, he got sentimental. Um, I mean, that, that, that is an evidence of his, of his humanity when he is crying because of his friend Lazarus and his other friends grieving over the death of Lazarus. Um, one of my favorite stories is Jesus in the boat when he falls asleep. There is this storm out on, on the lake and a storm that is so bad that experienced fishermen are scared to death and think that they're going to die. People who have spent their entire life every day, all day on the lake are experiencing a storm that makes them think that they're going to die. So the waves on that, just the, everything that's going on is incredibly scary. It describes just water pouring into the boat. And in that, the scariest storm you can possibly imagine, a boat that is filling up with water, is that Jesus is asleep and they have a hard time waking him up. I mean, that dude was sleepy, sleepy. And you know, God, God doesn't sleep. God, 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 God doesn't get tired in that sense. He doesn't, he doesn't need to take a break, but Jesus was so tired that the world's craziest storm would not wake him up. And so we see that. We also see a Jesus that gets hungry. So Jesus needs food. He needs sleep. And all of these things are aspects of, of, of being fully human as opposed to being God. There's even at least one time where they're asking him, hey, Jesus, when are you coming back? And he says, that's not something that's not something that I know. And so God, you know, to be fully God is to know everything. Well, but to be a person, you don't know everything. So here's an example. It's like, well, he, he doesn't seem to know everything. We've got Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, grieving, being afraid. We, we, we've got Jesus sweating. He's so nervous. He's so anxious, right? And so we see all of these aspects of real humanity in Jesus. And so we understand that in his very nature, he is fully God. 
And we also understand that because of these other things that are characteristics of people and not of God, that he is also fully human. To which then, if you are learning to or have the ability to think theologically, your very next question or statement or concern should be, how does that work? How can you be both fully God and fully human when, you know, there are such radical differences? If God knows everything and people don't know everything, how can you be fully both of those at the same time? If God never gets tired and people get tired, how can you be fully both of those things? And so there's a couple of questions there. So how does this happen? How do these two things come together? And I'm going to use a fancy word here for you. The hypostatic union. How are both of these two different types of natures, how can they come together? How can they be joined together and exist as one thing? That is the fancy theological term for that, the hypostatic union. And I think one of the, the best, at least partial answers to this is found in Philippians chapter 2. Now, in Philippians chapter 2, the, the actually the, 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 the primary purpose of Paul in this particular passage is to talk to us about how important it is for us to be to serve one another and to not simply just be selfish people who are only looking out for our own interests. And essentially he says, if you want to be do this right, to not be selfish, you need to be like Jesus. Verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Verse 6, describing Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we have again this point to his deity, verse 6, who being in very nature God, and then... um. In verse 7, it says, he takes the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And so he has the nature of God and takes the nature of of a human servant. And the way that it is described in between, um, first part of verse 7, it says, rather he made himself nothing. And so the, the Greek word that is being used there is kenosis. And so if you're ever reading theology, you'll see this word from time to time. Kenosis, referring to the kenosis of Jesus, the emptying, he emptied himself. He made himself nothing, depending on your translation of Philippians chapter two, verse seven. He, it's, it's an emptying. It's, 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 it's a changing. Like he, 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 he kenosis to himself. And the reason why it's referred to as kenosis is because all of these translations, like, like you, right, it's, it's almost like we're scared to put too many words to it because it is such an incredibly theological concept like how how do i describe it in english words like it's easier sometimes just to use the the greek word what did, how did jesus do this was what he kenosis is the easiest is the safest thing to say but then again to think theologically we have to say okay what is this saying what is it saying about jesus what it's saying is is that he was in very nature he was fully god and it says he didn't consider that something to be used to his own advantage um, there's, again, it's, it's going to be translated different ways, but essentially the best way to think of it is, oh, I guess when, well, let's say to, he didn't consider this something to hold on to, 
to, to grasp. And essentially it's like, he's Jesus in heaven. He is God in heaven. And being God in heaven has a lot of perks and privileges and is very different than living life on earth. And even though he had, and he was in his very nature and is in his very nature, fully God, he chose to not to strip himself to at least of a lot of the advantages of that and, and being fully human then comes and takes on the form of a servant. And so he empties himself. He makes himself nothing. He does something where he is losing some aspects of at least the privileges of being God in order to restrict himself and be human at a very minimum as a human, you are at one place at one time. You are hungry now. And so this emptying is not a change in his nature, in his very nature. Again, all throughout the Gospels, all throughout Paul's teaching, his nature is God. It is almost like there's a sense in which he's allowing the, when in conflict, more often than not, he allows his 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 nature as God to kind of to hide a little bit behind his human nature. I don't have to know everything. I don't have to be everywhere. I'm willing to limit myself to things that come with having a body, like being hungry, being tired. I, he, he is allowing that nature to take over. And then other times it feels like, well, I mean, he, he seems to know things that only Jesus can know, and he can do things that only Jesus can do. And it's kind of led people to all sorts of speculation. It's like, well, some people say, no, he was, when he was on earth, he was fully human and anything supernatural he knew or did, he did through the power of the spirit uh, and God, the father did that. And he didn't have any, for lack of a better term, he didn't have any God powers when he was here. And so there's a lot of different understandings of, of what that means and how that works. But essentially we see these, we see both of these natures in Jesus and we see it explained here in Philippians chapter two, that he was fully God and then humbles himself, empties himself, and allows this human nature to take over. And not just a human nature, but that of a servant. Not just a servant, but a servant who dies a death on the cross. And if there's anything that distinguishes someone who is fully human from being fully God, it is, it is death. And so he subjected himself to the limitations that come from having a human nature even though he always was fully God. He did not rid himself of being fully God, but he, again, he kenosis And so one of the, one of the, again, most intriguing things that I think that we as Christians, as we are learning to think and reflect the, theologically, is to think, man, what, what does that really mean? How, how does that work? But at some point, like you start to reflect on that, then it just starts to kind of fall more into the interesting category. Let me just make sure that as we as we kind of wrap this up, let's just make sure that we understand why this really does. This is more than just interesting. This is more than just like a, a, a curious academic exercise to kind of think about Jesus having these two natures and what that means, et cetera. Um, when we think about that Jesus dying on the cross for our sins— Really, and Jesus is often described as a mediator, a mediator between us and God. And so Jesus has to have, he paid this price, the price of our sin. And so if one dude lives a perfect life and dies 
he could, you know, he, he, you know, since he lived a perfect life, he, he's not under the penalty of sin, but he dies as a sacrifice for someone else. He could die for one person, but to have the ability to die for the world is not something one person could do. The, that person, if you will, would have to be a, would have to be the son of God, would have to have be godly in nature in order to be able to die for just more than one person. So he has the power in his nature for his death, his sacrifice to count for more than just one other person in his nature. He is fully God. And so he can pay that penalty for us. But there is also a sense in which he needs to be representative of us and he needed to be able to die. And so he needed to be fully human. It is absolutely essential for our understanding of what it is that Jesus did for us when he died on the cross that he have both of these natures as fully God and fully human. As fully human, he represents us. As fully God, he represents God and has the capability to be able to make a sacrifice that counts for everyone in the whole world. And so I think it is of incredible importance, as again, as it was from the very beginning, as Jesus is walking around, even when he was a kid and he ditches his parents to hang out in the temple. You can tell his parents were just like, who is this? Even they didn't fully understand. His disciples didn't fully understand. The Pharisees clearly didn't understand. And we, thousands of years later, are still reflecting on on this person We call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves followers of Jesus, not because we follow his teaching, but because what we have here is a unique person in human history who did the greatest thing ever. And in his very nature was clearly and obviously someone very, very different and is worthy, not just of us following his teaching, but of our worship and the dedication of our lives. And it is one of the most important personal and theological exercises that we can do to try to deeply reflect on the person and the nature of Jesus Christ. So I invite you to join us in that. And I enjoy to start to start or continue a journey of thinking deeply and powerfully about who Jesus really is. So again, thanks for joining us as we're just kind of walking our way through some points of theology. Um, glad that you were with us. Encourage you to keep joining us over the next several episodes. And as always, we would love to see you on a Sunday. We'd love to see you at the Grove Church in Fayetteville. So if you're local, we'd love to see you sometime. You can get all those details at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. And if you're not local and you'd still love to check us out, we'd love to see you. We're streaming our services every week on both Facebook and YouTube. And we would love to see you one way or another. So, and again, thanks for joining us.